I love that video. Saw a few familiar faces in there. Um, I love seeing Sean baptizing his little girls. That was, that was sweet. Got a little tear in my eye when that, when that came up. Baptism is important. If you are, have been wanting to do that, do not delay. This is uh, one of the first responses we have. We be- believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth, and then the proper response is to say, okay, God, I want to make this official. And, uh, and baptism is, is, is the way we identify publicly with the life of Christ in us. It's important identifying publicly. Our public witness is very important. So this week's Core 52 lesson, if you're joining us for the very first time, we're going through 52 weeks of core lessons through the scriptures that God teaches us about himself, about the world, about ourselves, about our walk with him, about our future destination. The core message that we're going to be focusing on this morning is the cross. And like baptism, the cross is that outward symbol that we use to, to express our faith, to let others know that, that we're, we're Christians. So we do that in several ways. We, maybe you have a, a cross around your neck this morning. Maybe a cross hanging on the wall of your house. Maybe you've got a cross on a bumper sticker on your car. Um, we have a big cross on the outside of the church there. We have a cross right here as well. The cross is the primary symbol of, of Christian faith. It gets used by others as well. If, if, you, if you encounter a vampire, what do you need to have on you? Garlic? No, follow along. A cross. <laughs> and garlic. Yes, garlic and a cross. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> The cross that most of us are familiar with is called the Latin cross. That's a Latin cross, meaning its, its leg is longer than its top. Its arms are, are equal length. Um, that's what is primarily in uh, Christian circles, the, the expression or the symbol of the cross that we're familiar with. There's another cross that the early Christians would have been actually more familiar with. It's called the Greek cross. The Greek cross is, is the cross that you would see on, on the top of a, of a first aid kit, the red cross that you think of. That is, that is a Greek cross. The cross, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of crosses, and so I was in Ireland earlier this, uh, at the end of last year, took a picture of this in a graveyard there. That's, that's a Celtic cross. It's a, it's, a, it's a standard Latin cross with a circle in the middle of it. There's different, different interpretations of what that circle c- can mean. Um, the early Celts worshipped the sun. Think about Stonehenge. Worship the sun. And so for some, that, that is the, the blending of two religions I don't think that's that at all. I think that, that as you look at that, you see the cross of Christ uh, clearly dominant over the old son. Um, but I also love the idea that, man, uh, the son of God is represented there in that circle. The unity of the Godhead is represented there. Maybe even the unity of the fellowship of believers. So I love, the, I love that, that picture right there. We think of the cross uh, and we think of Jesus and the church. But it wasn't always that way, for at least 300 years from the time of the crucifixion and resurrection, the symbol of the Christian faith wasn't the cross, it was a fish. You've seen that bumper sticker too as well, the little ichthus. Um, or, this is interesting, an anchor. 
And both the fish and the anchor, I think, represent the early Christian disciples' connection with the water, the sea. They were, the disciples were fishermen. It wasn't really until after 300 years that uh, Constantine, going into battle, had a vision at night of him winning the battle with, with the blazing cross in front of him. And in the dream, the, the angel said, if you carry this cross, you will win the battle, and he won the battle. And, and that's when the cross sort of became associated with the church in a very defining way. So whether you have a cross or you don't have a cross, it might be more appropriate to hang an anchor up on the wall instead of the cross. Uh, but either way, when we think of the cross, perhaps our first thoughts go to Jesus dying on the cross. How many of you, when you think of the cross, that's, that's your first thought. That's what you think of. Jesus dying for the sins of mankind, offering salvation to any who will put their trust in him. But the first introduction of the cross in the Bible is not the cross of Jesus. There's another cross. Anyone have any idea what it is? I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you're here. The first introduction to the cross wasn't the cross of the crucifixion. It was much earlier. The crucifixion was, I think, in Matthew chapter 27, but way earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, whoever does not take up their cross is not worthy to follow me. Their cross well, this is interesting. The first mention of the cross was not Jesus's, but, but ours in a sense. Now, it wouldn't be the last time that he would draw atten the attention of his disciples to their cross. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 26, Matthew writes this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. I used a phrase at the 930 service that I almost instantly regretted, but I'm going to throw it at her again because you know what? Why not? Here's what Peter was actually saying. Hell no. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen. It ain't going to happen. And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter... Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're not thinking like a disciple of Jesus. You're thinking like a carnal man. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life has to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Remember that promise. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you lose it for Jesus' sake, you will find it. Peter made the same mistake that many of us make. We think of the cross as unnecessary or optional at best. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. For life and true life, the cross is the only way in and the cross is the only way forward. So today we're going to look at, at four truths about the cross that Jesus is asking us to consider as we walk out our life of faith. Let's pray. Father, we do not want to consider the cross as optional or as um, in, in any sense unnecessary. 
we understand that we are brought into faith by the work of the cross, Jesus dying for us. And so we understand it is, it is the way in. And as we explore today the way forward, we pray that your words would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit by the scriptures would open our hearts to understand what it means to follow you um, and, and in a way that honors you as we look at the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. How many of you guys like to deny yourself? Just raise your hand if you love denial, self-denial. Okay, okay, I think I'm reading the room pretty good here. You're like me. I hate denial. I'm not in denial about my attitudes towards denial. I'm upfront and honest about it. I hate denial. Last Sunday after the service, uh, Patty Bennett came up and she goes, hey, do you like pineapple upside down cake? And I sort of had to laugh because I said, you're standing right in front of me. I feel like this is a stupid question. <laughs> I didn't say that to her. I said, why, yes, yes, I have heard of this thing you call cake, and I'm interested in trying it. <laughs> so after Wednesday class, uh, she said, I left something in the front seat of your car, and I got it home, and I thought I was going to get a slice of cake, but it's half of a pineapple upside-down cake, and I, and I, and, and I thought, I'm not going to have it. I'm going to have it for breakfast tomorrow morning with a cup of coffee. So I did, and I sliced it, and I go, oh, that's a lot of cake. I thought, no, we're talking about denying ourselves, and I, I'm going to deny myself. I'm only going to have one slice, and I'm going to do one slice a day, and that will, one, two, three, four, five. That'll take me probably till next Sunday, Monday. Honest, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no pineapple upside-down cake left at my house. <laughs> I'm not good at denial. I am not good at saying no to temptation. At the men's group last fall, we looked at three areas of temptation that men, really all of us, face. Um, John refers to it as the, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Here's what he actually writes, 1 John chapter 2, 16. It says, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, doesn't come from the Father, but comes from the world. We all will face these temptations. Even Jesus faced these temptations. In Matthew chapter 4, the scriptures say, just as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, he goes out into the desert to pray and seek God and gain, gain strength, sustenance, whatever he's going to need to fulfill his mission that God's called him to. And he says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yes, he would be. The tempter came to him, the devil came to him and said, well, if you're the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Man, sounds like the lust of the flesh to me. Satisfy your cravings. That didn't work. Jesus rebuked the devil. So the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, if, I will give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. Sounds like the lust of the eye. You see it, you like it, take it. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm called to do. The devil took him to the, the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down and prove it. What is that but the pride of life? Prove who you are. Prove your self-worth. Prove your identity. 
These three areas of temptation are common to all of us, and they, and they dig at the root of, of who we are, our, our self. Jesus says you must deny yourself. Now, it's not just about denying the pineapple, pineapple upside down cake or denying the new car or the promotion. Jesus says deny yourself, this whole person that you are. That denial is such an interesting word. It's basically a turning your back on something. Jesus uh, uh, uses this um, in a very key passage when he's talking to Peter later on. Jesus says, before the rooster crows two times, you will deny me. It's the same word there as it is when Jesus says, deny yourself. Jesus says, you will deny me. That word denial is not about giving up something like that uh, soda or a piece of cake or carbs. That's not the kind of denial. The denial that this word refers to is a relationship denial. Maybe you have experienced that in your own life where someone turns their back on you. Or maybe it's a situation where you had to turn your back on someone else. That's the denial that Jesus is speaking of when he says, deny yourself. It's only used in the context of interpersonal relationships. Jesus says, before the rooster crows two times, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I'm, there's no way I'm going to do that. And Jesus says, oh, we'll see. But it's this denial of self that must happen if we intend to follow Jesus into real life. We must lose ours to gain real life. And that means renouncing ourselves as the center of our universe and existence and recognizing Jesus Christ as the new and true center. And this call to recognize Jesus as the new and true center is really a call to die. First and foremost to ourselves. It means acknowledging the old self is dead. Colossians 3 talks about this. The old self is dead and now the life I live is Christ. The new life is only found in Jesus. And if you're like me, putting this into practice, you realize very quickly that it's hard. You get it wrong quite a bit. You wake up in the morning full of optimism and determination and then at night, you lay your head on the pillow and go, oh, maybe we'll do it again better tomorrow. What do we do when we fail to deny ourselves? As you do this, as you put this into practice and you realize that on your own you fail, it should develop in us a discipline of repentance. Repentance is not just something we do one time long ago at the altar. Repentance is a daily discipline where we recognize that we are not fully dead to ourselves yet. And so we repent of where we have failed. And what happens when we repent of where we have failed? The scriptures promise that there are new mercies. Every morning, fresh mercies, fresh mercies, fresh mercies. Man, getting it right is hard. Learning to repent is hard. It's also a little bit of dying. But there's mercies that await us each time. Luke 10 verse 27 says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Ah, oh, heart, soul, strength, mind. Four areas 
where we need to love and follow Jesus. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a fifth area where I need to follow Jesus. And so at night, we say, okay, where have the attitudes of my heart, the affections of my soul, my strength, my energy, my thoughts, have they led me or led others closer to Jesus? And if not, I have not truly died to self and I repent and ask forgiveness. And we discover new mercies, morning by morning. So rather than feeling disheartened by, by this, this cycle of, of, of denying, not getting it quite right, and repentance, we are actually encouraged by it because we experience every time the mercy of God. Ian Bounds uh, um, a, a, wrote several devotionals. But he says, all God's plans for us have the mark of the cross on them. All his plans for us have death to self in them. Jesus says that's, that's, that's the way it should be because losing our life is the only way to actually find it. So if we confess our self-sins, we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. And then we get to the take up your cross bit. Now the disciples must have had a few questions about what that meant. Remember, they've not actually seen Jesus take up his own cross yet. Not in a visible sense. And so they're like, now what does this mean? You're the Messiah and things are supposed to just get better and better and better. What, what's this all, let's talk about crosses. What is my cross and how do I discover and what does it mean to take it up? Well, the first question is this, uh, and the first, the first reality of this is that we discover our cross. If you don't know what it is, here's how you discover it. We discover our cross by not skipping that first step. Denying ourselves. I don't really understand <laughs> how little resistance to cake temptation I have until I attempt to resist my cake temptation. And then I realize I have little, little cake temptation resistance. We don't understand our cross until we, until we start to deny ourselves. And then the cross will reveal itself to you. And the second part of that is we take up our cross. My cross is different than your cross, and there's no, no, no reason to waste time envying my cross or me envying your cross. Jesus says, take up your own cross, only your cross. Don't take up anyone else's. Now, I say that with this understanding that we can come alongside each other and help carry each other's burdens. We've got families in our in our church that are going through difficult times right now. And we can pray for them and encourage them as they go through that difficult time. I can't carry their cross. That's theirs. But I can come alongside and help them. Carrying someone else's cross is the quickest way to grow weary and discouraged and bitter. So be careful to take up your cross and no other. Okay, I've got that. So how do I discover what my cross is? Well, again, we can look at Jesus. I don't have to, I'm not going to pick up Jesus' cross. That was Jesus' cross. I'm picking up my cross. But I can look at the cross of Jesus and learn a few things. You see, the cross of Christ was the, was the embodiment of his mission. It represented his particular purpose, the salvation of mankind. Philippians 2.8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cross represented, in some way, his mission. And your cross will probably do the same. The death 
on the cross was the means by which Jesus reconciled sinful man to a holy God. That was his mission. That was why he came. And so that cross represents the fulfillment of that mission. I am not called to take up the cross of Jesus, as I said. I kneel at the cross. I honor the cross. I revere the cross. I'm thankful for the cross, but that is not my cross. But as I ponder that cross, I gain a better understanding of my own. My cross is specific to me and reflects God's purpose for my life. So consider your life. What is God's purpose for your life? For me, it's the responsibility that I find myself in these last couple of years of of pastoring and shepherding a congregation here in Bedford and being available for that same thing to the people I might meet out in the community. What is yours? This, the second truth that I, I'm learning about the cross is that, that the cross is where, my cross is where I learn to depend on Jesus. I tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the first thing I'm doing half the time here. I am faking it till I make it, as they say. The cross that God has put on my shoulders is too burdensome for me. If I thought I had to do this all by myself, I would walk away before I finish this next sentence. Thankfully, I don't. I recognize that the cross that Christ has prepared for me is too, too heavy for me. And that's why he says, let me help you. The cross is where I learned to depend on Jesus. Crosses can be very heavy at times. Jesus stumbled beneath his, remember? But again, the weight shouldn't discourage you. The burden of it shouldn't discourage you because he promises to be right there with you. And he says, listen, if I'm with you, then the weight and the burden become light and easy. I love that promise. Jesus is with me. And so whatever cross he has prepared for me, I can do it because he is with me. The third truth is this, my cross is where I learn to love him more perfectly. Are you at a place where you are learning to depend on Jesus in a deeper way? And if you are, then you're probably also learning to love Jesus and his grace, his mercies to you even more. I am far from where I want to be. I'm I'm always looking at at what I'm doing and measuring it against what I think I should be doing and, and, and asking the question, Lord, is there some area that I need to grow in or get better at or step away from? As I walk this journey that God has for me with the cross that he's given me, I find, however, that my faithfulness and depth is growing. Every day I'm learning something new about myself and I'm enjoying the grace of Jesus more. I am learning to love him more perfectly. I think this is so important. If your cross is not moving you towards Jesus, that's not a cross that he has asked you to bear. Your cross, like that compass, like that hand on the compass, should always be pointing you true north to the cross of Christ. And if it's not, if it's drawing you away or making you bitter and angry and weary, then it may not be the cross that Jesus has made for you. 
So as you're discovering your specific cross, here's some questions. What is God's call on my life right now? Some of you, it may be, I've got to take care of my kids. Some of it may be, I've got to take care of my parents. That, that's where God has me right now. That's the most important thing that he has put in, in my path right now. And what about that is impossible apart from him? Because I think that's key. If it's something you can handle on your own, it, it may just be a responsibility. It may not be a cross. And what aspect of the calling compels me closer to him? What is it that, that makes me depend on him so much and learn to love him more in the process? And when you answer those three questions, I think you're going to discover your cross. And Jesus says, take it up with joy. James says the same thing. Consider it pure joy when you encounter these difficult things, especially if they're done for the sake of Christ, because, because there's where you find joy and growth and maturity. And once you discover your cross and take it up, Jesus says, then follow. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 57 through 62. I don't have the scripture up there, so this is a chance to sort of get your Bibles open. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Lucas the third gospel, and Luke chapter 9 and verse 57, and, and if you are looking it up, say yes when you get there. I hear a yes, so I'm going to move forward. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, Jesus and his disciples are, are journeying through, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three people who seemed on the face of it to be willing to follow Jesus. But when questioned further by Jesus, it seemed that none of them were really ready yet to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. And Jesus didn't make it easy either. He didn't say, oh, if you'll follow me, then you know what? Your marriage is going to be healed. Your kids are going to come home and, and, and fly straight. They're going, to, they're going to be successful. Your business is going to be successful. Your finances are all going to get in order. And, man, you're going to be living in a great place, living your best life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't make those kinds of promises, does he? Just the opposite. He says, if you follow me, you may face the loss of friends and family and reputation and career and possibly even your life. So this morning, if you are questioning whether you are ready to deny yourself and take up your cross, ask yourself these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus even if it means losing some of your closest friends? Some of you have. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Some of you are experiencing that. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? 
Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? These are some pretty heavy questions. And I'm not saying any of these things will happen, but they might. And are you willing? Tim Keller is a pastor out in New York, and uh, he reminds me of this. Any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is a stranger to the cross. So here at Sherwood Oaks, we don't make any empty promises, but we do make a promise, and this is the promise that, that I make to you from personal experience, that as you faithfully carry your cross, something incredible begins to happen. Either you get stronger or the cross gets lighter. And every day becomes more and more a joy to take it up and follow him. And that's the fourth truth. That the cross is the means by which I discover the life of Christ and the joy of Jesus in my life. Yeah, it's hard. Life is hard. But you look back and you go, I don't know that I would trade those experiences for anything. I learned so much. I grew so much. Hebrews 12.2 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And Jesus doesn't give us these crosses to make us miserable. He gives us these crosses so that we might find life and we might experience joy. James tells us, count it all joy. Even on the hard days, count it joy. Because what you're gaining from this experience will more than pay off in maturity and life and joy. There are hard days. But as we carry our cross faithfully, the days of joy far outnumber those days of trials and trouble. Carry the cross patiently, though, through them and with perfect submission. And in the end, it will carry you. Thomas Akempis, the great medieval writer, uh, pastor, wrote that in his book, The Imitation of Christ. Um, it, is, it is very true that the cross of Christ will carry you if you will faithfully carry it. So we said earlier, we began this way, that, that for those who are committed to finding life, taking up the cross is not optional. It is the only door into the life of Christ and the only pathway forward to becoming more and more like Christ, finding true and eternal life. We're going to share in the time of communion. And uh, as we said, there are, there are seasons that, that, that get difficult. I read this this past week, and I loved it. It says, our tendency in the midst of suffering is to either turn to God or turn on God and to shake our fist at him and get angry and, and bitter and say, God, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't have a clue how much this hurts. And the cross stands as a powerful reminder that God says to us, yes, I do. That cross takes away all of our accusations, excuses, and arguments. It's the place where God took on flesh and blood and experienced all of that. Yes, he says, I do understand. This morning as we share in this communion moment, we remember that Together, as the body of Christ, we are brought into this life of Christ through the cross. It's what we 
It's the means by which we worship the lamb who was slain. The lamb on the cross is the focus of our worship. Slain and glorified. Father, this morning we we thank you for Jesus who offered his life for us, who did not shrink back from the cross. So, Father, we pray that you would forgive us when we do. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the price you paid so that we could know forgiveness and grace and join with the angels saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. This morning as we examine our hearts and our our minds, reveal to us any parts of our lives that we have kept back from you that we have not denied. and Give us courage to, to take up our cross and a faithful heart to follow you so that we can experience the joy that that is set before us as we follow you on our mission. We thank you for the bread and the cup. And we give thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.